Well, we are going through the, the scriptures together and through the, the story, the abridged um, Bible in chronological order. We're all reading through that in our small groups <clears throat> and then preaching it on, on Sunday. Last week we, we had Jubilee, and so we did not preach last week. We did not share about the, the prophets, the messengers from God, Elijah and Elisha. Um, we did not share about that. And then this coming week, we see sort of the end of Israel as Israel begins to be, Israel and Judah begin to be exiled to Babylon. And that's the part of history we're in. Uh, a very sad part in history where, you know, we, we've gone from, from Adam and Eve in the garden to the, the original sin, and then evil multiplying uh, over, over the generations, the flood, Noah, the covenant with God, then the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promises that God makes to them, that he will make them a great nation, and that through, through them all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then from that point on, the covenant just kept on getting more awesome, ratified as God uh, shared his desire that his people have a land, you know, very important that they dwell in the, the promised land, uh, and that his, the 12 tribes of Israel be unified underneath the kingship of God in the land that he provided. This is a good dream. This is a good vision. But unfortunately, um, people kept on breaking covenant with God. And by the time we get to the end of Israel and Judah's, again, even having to say two, two different tribes, there's civil unrest, and there's two different, now the 12 tribes are split into two different, two different kingdoms. I mean, it's really gotten messed up big time. Um, and now we're seeing uh, God saying, you know, it's been a very, very long time. I've been warning you patiently and disciplining you and guiding you. And now the things I said were going to happen are, are going to happen. You're going to go into exile and uh, in, into a strange land. And so it's, it's a very, it's a sad uh, part of the story. And it, it speaks to us about just how humanity, when everyone does what they see, think is best, it doesn't go very well. Because the things that we want to do apart from God, there really is no limit to the evil and wickedness and things that, that people can come up with. Um, there are some really, really nice people out there, but there's also people, you, we're, we're able to go, go down pretty quick. But God, as, as we will see, he never gives up on his people. Uh, through all the discipline that God carries out with his people, he never forgets his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and those guys. He never forgot his vision to have a people in a land who would then be evangelistic, meaning bless other nations outside of Israel with, yet with uh, the God of the Israelites, the true God. God never let go of that. And in the midst of all these sad turns of events. I want to share with you a little bit from last week's reading and then a little bit from this coming week's reading. God has really... Um, I, I was sitting with these, these texts. You know, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Isaiah. Um, Micah, I believe, was one of the readings as well sitting with these readings, reading them over and over again, thinking and praying. And at one point this week, I just closed my eyes at my desk and 
I could think of all these different directions that we could go talking about this stuff. And I just felt that God gave me a, a topic from the text that he, that he wants to illustrate this morning. And it's certainly a topic that's very near and dear to my heart because is what, it's what our faith story was about today, about God's provision. I think God wants to talk about his provision again this morning. Um, we need provision from God. We need physical provision. We have, we have needs. We have needs for groceries, needs for a dwelling place, especially when it's this cold out. Uh, we have needs for, for jobs to support our families, our, our households. Uh, we have needs for vehicles, as, as has been well documented. Um, the people we love have needs. Our children have needs. Our neighbors have needs. Our friends at church have, have needs. And these needs are, are consequential because um, they're needs. They're not all just wants. They're things we need. And sometimes we don't even know what we need. And that's when God shows up and shows us what we truly need. But all of, all of our needs, all of our wants, you know, they matter to God. Um, my oldest daughter, last week, we were talking through some of this um, scripture reading. They've, they've been doing the story as well. And um, my oldest, Olivia, said, it was almost kind of like a sassy preteen voice. So kind of like, um, it was kind of like, uh, well, if God, why is, does God have time for, for people? I mean, he's busy doing all this other stuff in the Bible. Like, you know, he's, he's nation making. He's doing all these big picture things. How can God care for our, us as individuals or us as families? And I said, the most cop-out answer ever, because he's God. <laughs> um, this is something that really, you know, we've, there, there have been times in Christian history where who God was was so separate from us that it's like he's just up there high and exalted. We can't relate to him at all. But there's also times in, in history where we begin to think maybe God is just like us. So he's either nothing like us or he's just like us. But the truth is that God is, we are made in God's image, but he is much, much more than a human speaking into a microphone really loud. He's God. And God is a personality. So he is, he is, we are made in his image. He has a personality like us. But he is fully developed into the fullness of who he is, completely, has always been completely and utterly perfect as a personality. And, and you know, he's not developing into a different type of God over time. You know, whereas we are developing all the time and changing in response to God. But... Uh, But God, he is able to, his eye is, as the, as the hymn says, his eye is on the sparrow. Uh, he, he sees when a sparrow falls from the sky, even though they're, they're, worth, they're essentially worthless, uh, worth pennies. But they're, they're worthy of God's attention. His eye is on your refrigerator and do you have groceries. And he, ca- he, cares about, he cares about our needs. He really does. And he doesn't say to us, as many New Yorkers say to each other, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get, get your junk together, and make it happen. Um, he's, he's, not, he's not like that. He's not harsh like that. He is a kind and loving God who knows what we need before we ask him, and he asks us to ask him. And he delights to, to meet our needs when we reach out to him. Especially when we reach out to him in humility saying, 
but not my will, yours be done, you know? But we, he cares. He cares about our needs. And, and I said to Olivia, he is focused on, you know, Russia and the Ukraine and United States and wherever else in the world. And he's also focused on a two-year-old child living in uh, poverty in Brazil. You know, he's focused on these things. He cares. And God, he wants to meet our needs, our, our, the physical provision we need in life. That's something we often don't think about enough. We should be asking God for all kinds of things because he wants to provide for us. What we tend to, to emphasize is our need for a Savior, which is absolutely 100% foundational and true. We need, we need to be saved by Jesus. The only one who can save us, the only name by which people can be saved from hell and sin and death is Jesus Christ. That's a need that we have. But he, care, he cares about that spiritual need as much as he cares about the physical needs that we have. So my, my, my goal is that we wouldn't focus so much on, um, on, this, on the future, the salvation of our soul, to the, to the detriment of forgetting that God actually cares about those little things in our lives that might seem even un, inconsequential even to us. And he cares about both of those things. And the, the scriptures we see... Uh, in, in the scriptures, we see some amazing examples of God's kindness in meeting people's needs. We've seen God notice when a woman and her child were banished from the household of Abraham, and uh, he sees her crying in the desert and uh, thinking her and her baby were going to die, and he sees her, and she says, blessed are you because you're the God who sees me. That's the name of God that she gives to him, the God who sees me. So our big, our big challenge in life is to, yes, glory in the salvation God has given us from our sins, but remember that his provision extends beyond that. And he desires to provide for the things we need. He desires us to ask him all kinds of different things. And sometimes that provision is directly tied to other people around you, the church, when you make your needs known and you pray and someone else meets your need in the body. That's, we're not... We're not saying that um, we're just relying on God for, you know, alone, but we have to become attuned to being the answer to someone, someone else's prayer at times. So you hear about a need in the body, and Jesus meets the needs of the body through you and answers a prayer that way. But he also does it all on his own. So we're looking at these two things. And the spiritual need to be saved. God is holy. In him there is no darkness at all, no, no change, no shifting like shadows. Um... God is perfectly holy. We are not, as has been well documented. And Jesus came to save sinners and, and to put the righteousness of God onto us. So when God looks at us, he sees the finished work of Jesus if we have faith in him. That's a pretty good thing. So when we, that's why when we, say, we pray in Jesus' name, we're actually doing something. We're actually like putting it inside an envelope with an address and a stamp. Because... Jesus had a, blank, had a blank check from God. Like anything, he, you know, he, he asked God for all kinds of things and God provided for him. He was the perfect man. He didn't sin. We sin, but we're covered in Jesus. And so when, God, when we pray in Jesus' name, our prayers go as if Jesus was praying them himself. And um, God, is, God is good. Um, I'm going to read from 1 Kings 19, 1 to 9. And this is a story about God's provision. On a personal level, 
a mentor of mine. During this uh, pandemic time, there have been times when I've just been over, overwhelmed with, you know, feeling, feeling down, feeling emotionally down, not doing super well all the time. Can anyone relate with that? And then going into the winter, the long, cold winter, um, during a pandemic, you know, these are, these are tough times. that can be emotionally challenging. And uh, we, we feel our neediness very acutely sometimes in the depression that we feel in our hearts. And a mentor of mine, I was sharing with him a while back, and he pointed me to this story about Elijah. Elijah being one of those major prophets of God that was functioning during the time of the kings. And uh, if you'll remember, I don't know if you know the story, but there's a story where Elijah um, has a showdown with Baal, the god of uh, the, the false god. And so Ahab and Jezebel are the king and queen. They have all these hundreds and hundreds of priests of Baal. And it's, you know, Baal is like, like child sacrifice, you know, like all this bad, bad stuff that Baal represents. Um, and Elijah proposes that they have a, a little contest between God, Yahweh, and Baal. So the priests of Baal, you know, they, 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 he's, Elijah says, we're each going to build an altar, and then whoever's God sends fire to burn the, the offering is the true God. And that's how we're going to testify to who the true God is here. Uh, so Elijah gets really um, bold in the Lord, and he, you know, he... He pours water on the offering on his, on his, he digs a trench around it and he puts so much water on his offering so it can't really be lit on fire easily that the trench fills with water as well. Meanwhile, the priests of Baal are screaming, they have an altar as well, and they're screaming to, to Baal, do something, take, you know, burn this offering here. And, um, and, and Elijah sits back and says, oh, maybe your, God, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he can't hear you. These are really, that's really in the Bible, kids. It's funny. A little bit of potty humor, I guess. But he was, you know, maybe your God is indisposed, as they say. Maybe he's not able to reach you. Maybe you need to talk a little bit louder to your God. And they're cutting themselves, as in many pagan religions and things, they do that, trying to get Baal's attention. Nothing happens. Elijah prays and fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, the altar. It licks up all of the water and leaves basically just a glass, you know, like so hot. And all the priests of Baal are then judged by, by Elijah and his men. And then Elijah, having had this, this crazy showdown with, the prophet, with, with Baal, um, the, the queen and the king, Ahab and Jezebel, particularly Jezebel, begin hunting him down like, we want to kill this guy. Even after seeing what God did. I don't, that's really gutsy. If I saw that, I don't think I'd go after Elijah. I think I'd say, it's in my best interest to keep my head down. Same thing with Pharaoh in Egypt. It's in your best interest to keep your head down. You have a good life. Don't chase them. <laughs> Just stay in Egypt and keep on enjoying your mummies and your pyramids and your honey. But no, humans are very, very, very foolish. And um, Elijah gets chased. And uh, that's where we pick up the story. I'm going to read 1 Kings 19, 1 to 9. Now Ahab told Jezebel, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I did not make your life like that of one of them. 
Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Well, he himself went a, day, a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it. He prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Elijah comes from this literally mountaintop experience of the showdown. He's chased and he kind of crashes and he, he actually wants to die. Like life sucks and I'm depressed and I'm, someone's chasing after me. I'm just done with it all, God. I don't want to live anymore. He falls asleep under a tree. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. This is such a tender story because Elijah, he, he, he's done. There's no reason to think that he's kidding or that he's not serious. He, like many people, says just too much, too much suffering, too much death. I'm sick of running for my life. It would just be better if you killed me, God. He didn't ask for food. He didn't ask for water. He didn't ask for sleep. But those were the things that Elijah actually needed. They weren't pie-in-the-sky spiritual needs, but they were physical needs that were important in his life that had been neglected. And God tenderly and lovingly came to this sleeping, suicidal man in the form of an angel. I don't know if it was God in, in angelic form or just an angel, probably just an angel of the Lord. And this angel actually doesn't just bring miracle bread. He cooks a loaf of bread for Elijah while he's sleeping. And, Elijah, he's, and the angel says, get up and eat. And he looks and he sees that the angels made him bread and water. And I think that he just felt probably grateful. And he, he ate that. And he was so, he was so down and, and just depressed and done, he just fell right back asleep. And then the angel lets him sleep for a while, then taps him again. Wake up. And there's take and eat. For the journey is too much for you. This is what therapists and counselors say is called empathic attunement. You know, God is attuned with empathy to Elijah's need. And he act, he, Elijah says he wants to die. God hears him, and God says, you're right, this journey is too much for you. But I know what you need before you ask. You don't need to die. You need to sleep. You need to eat. You need to sleep. You need to eat. You need to drink. And sure enough, these needs of Elijah that he hadn't even asked to be fulfilled were met by a God who was attuned to his needs and cared for him. God didn't judge him. God didn't say, try to figure it out for yourself. 
God lovingly provided what was needed for Elijah. And it gave Elijah the strength, after a couple of naps and some food, to get all the way to Horeb. So with God's provision, the journey was not too much for him. And as far as we know, he didn't have this suicidal mindset anymore. I guess you could say he wanted God to kill him. So he wasn't suicidal in the sense, but he, he was depressed if he wanted God to kill him. Um, that, all, that all dissolves in the kindness of God. God provides what we need in the natural, in the world that we live in. We're, we're humans. The difference between a Christian, a bi- biological human body, Christian body, and a non-Christian body is there's no difference. We're just people. We get tired, we get hungry, we get thirsty. Even Jesus got tired, hungry, and thirsty. And Jesus often went, went away to rest and to recuperate. How much more Elijah? How much more us? It says in Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that this morning, that God cares about your needs? Do you believe it enough to pray that God would meet your needs? Or ask that other people in the church pray with you? Matthew 6, 25. These are Jesus' words, God in the flesh, giving a perfect sermon. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your, fe- your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, not worth much, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the pagans, the the non-believers, run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Doesn't that sound like an invitation to really take seriously that God cares about what you need and to ask him for it and to not worry about it? God cares about our physical needs. I talked about him several times. and I, whoop, There it goes again. I talked about him several times in many sermons, but one of the biggest inspirations, some of the best inspiration you can get is reading Christian biographies of people that have gone before us. Like, it's really encouraging to see someone's faith in action. And George Mueller was a Christian evangelist who decided to open some orphanages, and he did it all by faith. He just asked God for what he needed and then saw God's provision. And the whole point of this, this venture was 
not primarily to have an orphanage for people that were needy, but to prove to the world that God really does care about the little things. So he never did fundraising. He just trusted God to provide everything. It was an exceptional situation um, of someone that probably has an amazing gift of faith. So I'm not saying we're all George Mueller. I think we need to be a little bit more like George Mueller. Um, one morning, this is, this is from his journal. One morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The orphans were standing, waiting for their morning meal. When George Mueller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. Children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. There's a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have any bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread, and I brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left when there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. God cares about our physical needs. If we've been given salvation through Jesus Christ, how will God not, along with him, give us all things? This is the generosity of God. And this is not, uh, I think that we, I've said this before, I think the whole prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it kind of movement has spoiled real Christianity from ever asking God for anything. So we're like, well, we're not prosperity. We don't believe that we're, we're you know, we name it and claim it and we, we, we kind of take control of our own destiny, you know. But then we, we make the mistake of never asking God for anything or expecting anything from God. So we need to make sure that we don't um, look at those abuses and cease to do the very thing that God wants us to do, which is ask him. God cares about our needs. The second story is from Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. And boy, this is a cool passage. So Isaiah was uh, the prophet around the time when Israel was about to go into exile. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each one with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The same thing that we hear from them in Revelation 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This vision that Isaiah had, and I'm assuming it was a, it was a a real substantial vision that he had. Um, I'm guessing that 
the coal touching his lips was symbolic, and he probably didn't then go to the hospital with burned lips. You know, in this vision, he, I think he was preserved from that kind of injury. Because the point was, Isaiah was right when he said to God, Woe is me, I'm undone. Because he was in the presence of the Lord. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. We know that's true because we're reading through the Old Testament. Unclean lips. Um, he knew he had a need. In the presence of God, the holy God, he had a need to be, to be uh, saved, preserved, and helped. And God provides what he needs with this coal, which represents atonement. He touched the coal to his lips and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. The word atoned means, means covered. It's the same word that we use when we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ covering our sin. His blood covers us, atones for us, so that we are in Christ. And Isaiah accurately saw his need. Maybe, maybe in his everyday life he wasn't feeling it so strongly, but when God's presence came before him, fell on his face. That's what everyone always does in God's presence. They fall on their faces, and they think, I think I'm going to die. That's how holy God is. And God provides a coal. And he says, this has atoned for your sins. Your lips are clean. So now you're, now you're among a people of unclean lips, but your lips are clean. You can speak my messages. Uh, this is a spiritual need that Isaiah had. And God met that spiritual need. We know this because Isaiah then said, then answered the call from God. After his sins were atoned for, um, God said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? This is the Trinity talking among themselves. God, Holy Spirit, the Son. Who will go for us, the Trinity? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. Because his sin was atoned for. He was covered. And he knew that he was now able to stand, not only stand in God's presence, but speak for God among a people who were not following God very well at all. God cares about our spiritual need for salvation and for a spiritual covering. And God didn't, didn't provide us with a coal to singe the sin off of our lips, but he provided us with himself. God came in Jesus and gave his life and shed his blood to cover our sins. And our sins are atoned for through Jesus' shed blood. Ephesians 1, 7-8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of, God, riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. This is not just a schmear of cream cheese. This is, a, you know, he lavished on us. What a word. What a word picture. Redemption, forgiveness, grace, extra on, lavished. You Chipotle people, double meat, double protein. <laughs> That's pretty strong language. 1 John 2.2 2. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The same word, atoning. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The spiritual need to be saved and covered, and Jesus provides it. Hebrews 1.3 The Son is the radiance of God's glory. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he, after he had provided purification for sins, 
He sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. After Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he ascended to the right hand of God, having, having provided a covering for all of our sins who would look to him in faith. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. God not only cares about our physical needs and what's in the fridge and what, what we have to drive and are we warm and safe, but ultimately, he's provided for our spiritual need through Christ. And none of us can be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. It's the way that God has, it's the all-inclusive way that God has extended salvation to anyone who would believe in Jesus. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. Doesn't matter what culture you grew up in or what religion you, were, you grew up in or, or, or what you've done in your, your sins. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and asks Jesus to cover them um, is forgiven, and God doesn't hold their transgressions or sins against them anymore. God provides for our spiritual need as well, which is for a Savior. So God, God cares about our, our, our needs. He wants to provide for our needs. He cares about, and sometimes even through other people around us in the church, He cares about our soul, and He wants us to be saved, forgiven, and with Him for all eternity in Christ. Because the people that die in Christ rise again because Jesus rose again. So, I remember when I came to Christ, I was thinking about this the other day, back in 2001. And um, I went, I, I, I've said this before, of course, but I was, I was at the church and the pastor of this church, actually, in 2001. He didn't give an altar call. He just sort of shared a message, and it was a message about God's grace, you know, that grace that he lavished on us. And um, I had never heard the gospel of grace before, ever. So I was, I was you know, at that time a young man, 17, younger, right? And, you know, when you're 17 and you're trying to follow God, you feel like you're just the worst sinner that was ever born, and that no one could possibly be as bad as you are. Um, and I was constantly feeling that sense of God, of the righteousness of God next to me who is just constantly screwing up. How could God love me? And the preacher shared the gospel of grace that you know, we are forgiven through the work of Christ, not by our own works, and that really set me free. That set me free, and there was no altar call, and the pastor was talking to somebody else, but I went forward and I grabbed onto his arm and I wouldn't let go. I just was emotionally like weeping, crying, and I just said, I blurted out, I want to do things for God with my life. That's what I want to do from now on. I, I didn't, that's interesting. That was like my spontaneous response to receiving grace is, here am I, send me, you know? When we know we're forgiven, when our spiritual need has been covered by, by Christ through faith in him, uh, we realize, wow, I can be a part of the body of Christ. I can do things for God. Me and God are on good terms. We're friends. God's, God's, God wants to work with me, and I want to work with him. And, um, and that's the amazing thing about God's provision spiritually. We can all do things for God. Whether we work in a church or we work in a hospital or a nursing home or, any, or the university or any other place that you lovely people work, even the Colgan man. I'm going to close with this. Another quote from George Mueller. 
According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Very old-timey. Above all things, I, above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and thirty years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I specially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God, having been experiential acquaintance in a fellowship with God himself.